0: Gus Farwell has one heck of a story to tell. He was friends and teammates with a true American hero.
1: And I see this guy walking through the long grass. He's got his wide-brimmed straw hat, long blonde hair coming out, and I swear to God, he was reading Emerson. And I just remember looking at him and just going, who the hell is this guy, you know? And of course it was Pat Tillman.
0: He was roommates with a Sun Devil legend
1: Jake just came up to me and asked me if I wanted to be his roommate. And I was like, yeah, sure, man. Like, of course. So I was living with Jake Plummer and Chris Finn.
0: And he's performed in front of celebrities like Billy Crystal and Tom Hanks.
1: Tom Hanks gets up, grabs the flowers out of the centerpiece of his table and comes up and starts throwing them one by one to me on stage.
0: In this two-part series we'll take a look at the life of the former Arizona State backup quarterback, how it all led him to a viral moment during the pandemic and fulfilling dreams decades in the making. I'm Chirsten Sussell and this is PHNX The Story.
1: It was interesting, Um, you know, it it was tough getting going for me because my father died of pancreatic cancer in the middle of my freshman year of high school. So I had a very different experience. You know, we were just talking about my brother who played at Oregon and, you know, my dad was there, he was taking him to the gym before class, uh, you know, junior year, senior year. And my dad was just this driving force behind my brother, Joe. And then, you know, I lost that and it was it was obviously a really difficult time and my dad was this wonderful guy and I had a great relationship with him. And so I ended up not being the starting quarterback when I was a junior. I probably should have been, but I wasn't. And then, uh, so my senior year, I did really well. Um, I was first team all Central Coast section in California, which is, you know, it's the size of some states really. And then, you know, My sort of joking claim to fame is, you know, some guy named Tom Brady was honorable mention behind me. Who knew, you know, I mean, seriously, but you know, so I, I had a great senior season and I went to camps at UCLA and I think Stanford, um, Oregon was recruiting me. UCLA was recruiting me. Stanford was recruiting me. And then all of a sudden UCLA went with Cade McNown, uh, Oregon took Justin Wilcox, who was a local kid and um, now obviously the coach of of, uh, Berkeley. And and it just all of a sudden, I didn't really know where I was going. And I had gone to Tempe uh, years before to watch my brother play. And it was a night game in Sun Devil Stadium. And there was just something about the place. I, I just, it was a really mat, it was just, you know, it was one of those nights. It's just, a, it was a beautiful, warm night in the monsoon and, and it just stuck with me. And then I was looking around and I also really wanted to play somewhere that had a uh, good theater program.
0: While a couple doors might have closed, Another one opened for Farwell, who was destined to be a Sun Devil. But he may have questioned his decision when he got to camp.
1: Went through freshman camp the three days before actual Taunizona camp in Tempe. It was 124 degrees. Look it up. It's still on record. 1995. The fall of 1995 was the hottest time on record. We did double days in that. We did double, we did double, we did three days of double days. I I think it didn't even get below 100 at night. Uh, It was just a joke. But anyway, uh, that was my, you know, trial by fire, uh, almost literally. And then, you know, went up to Camp Tonizona. Early on, I looked across the fields and there, so there are the cabins and then the fields. And then on the other side of the field, or at least it was then, there was this sort of long grass in between the field and the river. And I see this guy walking through the long grass. He's got his wide brimmed straw hat, long blonde hair coming out. And I swear to God, he was reading Emerson or something like that. Like it. it and I just remember looking at it and just going, who the hell is this guy? You know, and of course it was Pat Tillman. And then we we really connected because we actually grew up in the towns next door. Uh, I grew up in Los Gatos. He grew up in Almaden. Uh, He was a year older than me. I I always thought he was much older than me just because he had that air about him anyways. I mean, he's Pat, right? And so he and I connected really early on. And I was really glad to do that because, you know, I think my favorite story about Pat, at least, you know, when he went there with Bruce Snyder and Bruce Snyder told him that he wanted to, wanted Pat to redshirt. Pat said, "Coach, you got me for 4 years. I'm not redshirting. I've got I've got shit I want to do with with my life." I think was the exact quote. And and that was that was kind of I think Pat and I really connected because there was other stuff off the field. You know, some guys just wanted to play football and do nothing else. There were guys there that would say to me, you know hey or like i I'm only here to get to the n f l that's it like I'm not even interested in school, I'm not interested in any of my subjects or anything else, you know, and i I just that I was never like that um, Pat certainly wasn't like that
0: so Gus connected early on with Pat Tillman, who was someone that always marched to the beat of his own drum the first time I spoke with Gus a couple of years ago. He told me some stories off the record about his adventures with Tillman, and I never repeated them. But this time around, I asked if he could share one on the record that most, I'm sure, have never heard. He agreed.
1: You know, Pat, Pat first, I should say, was amazing, was an amazing friend to me because, you know, I, I was doing plays and things, and I, I had shows and performances going on whilst, you know, playing football, uh, you know, I, I remember when I sh- showed up at ASU, the dean of the department and my academic advisor called me in as soon as I arrived on campus. And I was like, wow, really? Already? What would I do? <laughs> um, and they were really concerned about me because, interestingly, for two reasons. One, I had chosen two of the most time-consuming things on campus. Uh, and then, interestingly, they were also really concerned that I was going to get harassed by the football team because I was a theater major that they were going to like give me a bad time and all this kind of stuff. Couldn't have been further from the truth. Um, so that was kind of funny, but um, but Pat would come and see pretty much everything that I did. And he would just show up. I'd be like, how do you even know that I was doing this? I'm like, no, man, I didn't would just be there. The, w- the one story we were out one night at a club and sort of, You know, we're dancing. Pat loved to dance. Most people don't know Pat was a dancer. We're out. It's late night. Everybody sort of leaves. And Pat's like, hey, man, I've been invited to come over to somebody's house or whatever. Is that you want to come? And I'm like, yeah, sure. like Whatever. You know, and there are no room in the cars going out to where this house was. And it was pretty far away. Um, And so we had to take a cab. Don't ask me to point it where it is on a map. I have no idea still to this day where we went, but I just knew that it was far. And it's one of those typical sort of, you know, condo complexes. And so I'm just following him. I don't know. You know, he'd been there apparently before. And and so I'm just following along. And we go up and finally get to this place like an hour later. And he goes up and just knocks on the door. And there's no answer. And... (laughs) Pat was just, you know, he just kind of let out this kind of grunt. And next thing I know, he he turns around and he starts looking up at the roof. And I'm just looking at him watching this guy and he doesn't say anything while he's doing this, by the way. He's just looking around, looking, looking, looking. I'm like, "What, what is this guy doing? Next thing I know, he leaps up. I mean, like complete spider-man stuff leaps up pulls himself up and over onto the roof which i could never do in my entire life like pat had superhuman strength at times and I, i still don't know how he did it he just pulls himself up onto the roof disappears right i can't see him anymore and he I just hear these steps like do 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 along along the roof line. And I see he's kind of going over towards the other side, and then I just hear this thud, and I'm like, oh my god, I hope he's okay. Then I hear a sliding glass window open, more steps inside the house. I hear a refrigerator open <laughs> and close, and the next thing I know. He opens up the front door of which I'm still waiting outside and hands me a beer from the fridge and he goes, come on in. <laughs> I I don't know another person who would have done that. And then we sat, we went out and sat on the balcony that he jumped down onto. they left their bedroom sliding glass door open. Uh, I'm pretty sure that we drank the rest of their beer for not being there and just talked about life. There were things that were said that were, sort of foreshadowing. Um, And, and then at some point he looked at me and he just said, you know, he's like, I'll like, I'll do anything just to do it just for the experience of it. And I'm kind of looking at him like, yeah. And he, and he says like, like you see that palm tree and there was a palm tree, probably about 10 or 15 feet away from the balcony. And in one, one foul swoop of movement, and it's seriously, it was like watching a cheetah do it. And he, he launches himself out of the chair in a single movement jumps up two foot, the two foot jumps up onto the railing, which again, probably couldn't do to save my life lands on the, uh, on the railing and still in the same movement leaps out completely spread eagle through flying at some point in the history of the world, Pat Tillman was flying through the air, spread eagle in the night in Tempe or Scottsdale. I don't know where we were and wrapped himself around that palm tree and slid down to the bottom of it. And he turned around and he looked up at me. And I'm just I, I, I mean, my jaw just must have been completely on the floor. And he turns around, and he looks up at me and he goes, now you do it. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? And but and he's like, "No, no, no, you do it. And so not in the same manner at all, but yes, I did climb up gingerly using the chair up onto the railing. And yes, I too jumped out and wrapped myself around a stupid tree. And thankfully I had had a long sleeve shirt on. He had a short sleeve shirt on and he, I remember he scratched up the inside of his arms pretty good. Um, But that, that I think sums up a lot about Pat. I think the more people that know about Pat Tillman, the better. Um, and I, I think he is truly deserving of, you know, when I, when I walk around campus, when I see the 42 jerseys, I, I smile. I, you know, I just think it's great. Um, and he is certainly, he was certainly a very, very special guy. And I was just lucky to know him and be there and, and be his teammate. And, uh, I never really think about him being gone. I just think I, I love just kind of replaying the memories and the silly things we did. And, and like that story I just told that night, I was just like, who was that guy, man? Like, he was just, he was such a great guy.
0: After feeling a little disconnected from the team while redshirting his freshman season, things really picked up the following year. Gus moved in with Jake Plummer, and on the field, the team experienced one of the most iconic seasons in program history.
1: Can't stress this enough. That year was just so much fun. You know, we didn't have a single losing week of practice, and that—that's pretty rare. You know, I mean, yes, we did. We came up slightly short at the end. Uh, we're all aware of that. We don't need to go over that again.
0: Ohio State beats Arizona State.
1: The Sun Devils dream comes to an end in Pasadena, but not before they put on a heck of a fight. It was just, a, it was such a magical season because of that. It was, and, it, you know, it wasn't like we steamrolled everyone either. Steamrolled Nebraska, defending national champion in Nebraska. We, we did steamroll them. Plummer now running out of time. buys himself a little wide and back. And Sun Devils of Arizona State are on the board first. You know, to, to be in that room the night before the, the Nebraska game when the famous speeches, the player speeches were given and the tables were flipped and all that kind of stuff when, you know, the the no one outside this room believes, you know, because we, we kicked the coaches out of the rooms. We said no one outside this room uh, believes that we're going to win tomorrow. But, you know, you know, there was the comeback win against UCLA. And Arizona State lives to play unbeaten again. We hope you enjoyed it. It was a great performance by the snake. The double overtime versus USC, the last second field goal against Washington. High snap, He got it down, it's on its way, it looks good. And it's good, You know, it was just, it was such an incredible time and it was so much fun and it was, it's all about the guys and, and the guys I just absolutely love, they're my brothers for life. Um, I can't say enough about the group, and and I think you'll get that from pretty much everyone in the group. It was just a really, you could never put it together if you tried. I think it was just one of those sort of lightning in a bottle type things.
0: It was the year ASU almost won a national title. The 1997 Rose Bowl team that went undefeated before falling to Ohio State in that game. It was a team that was loaded with special talent, one many could only dream of being on.
1: It's funny. I always say that I think I had the best seat in the house for the whole thing. I mean, being Jake's roommate, being in the quarterback room, just knowing all those guys, I can't believe how lucky I was to go there. I wouldn't trade. I don't care if I would have gone to another university and been a four-year starter and this, that, and the air. I don't care. I, I just it, it, And it took me a long way, time to feel that way. But I certainly feel that way now.
0: Gus couldn't have asked for a better sophomore season. And now with Jake Plummer graduating and heading to the NFL, he had the opportunity to compete for the starting spot. But just a couple weeks after the season ended, tragedy struck in his personal life. And it led to him walking away from the game of football entirely.
1: So we sort of have to back up uh, quickly to when my father passed. Um, There was one person that I really talked to about it, and her name was Jill, and she uh, was a good friend, and her grandfather was dying at the same time my father was dying, and we just sort of confided in each other. There were actually two empty seats at the Rose Bowl. I had uh, two tickets, and for her and her dad to come down, and they couldn't come to that game. And two weeks later, they were on their way. They were driving from Los Gatos to Lake Tahoe. And it was Jill, her 14-year-old brother, Jeff, and her dad, Jim. And they were five minutes away from their cabin in thick fog. And a three-time convicted drunk driver crossed over the center line at about 70 miles an hour through thick fog and killed all three of them. And so that happened to be on the fifth year anniversary of my dad's death. It was January 17th, same day. So yeah, that threw me for a loop. We'd had the Rose Bowl, gone home for two weeks. And this was, this was supposed to be my time. This was like, I was coming back, you know, Jake, Jake was out. And all the all those seniors were moving on. And there was an element of that that I was sad about. But at the same time, I remember coming back, being on that flight and just feeling amped up like, OK, this spring, this is when it's going to this is when it's going to matter. And, and I had a fight on my hands. You know, uh, Ryan Keeley had come in. You know, Steve Campbell was still there. There were still a couple of quarterbacks and it was, um, you know, it was not decided who was going to be the guy and so I was all ready to go you know and excited and and then I got to to our house and I called home to tell him I'd got there safely and my brother told me that I should probably sit down and then told me that he said yeah Jim Jeff and Jill were all killed in the f- killed in a car wreck last night and I just I lost it I mean I, I it, it was sort of all the I think. All, a lot of it was the stuff that I hadn't completely dealt with uh, from my dad dying. And it just ripped that all back, you know, all open. And it was almost worse. I mean, it was worse because because of the fact, I mean, first of all, I mean, uh, it was just so unfair. And it was a family of six became a family of three in an instant. Um, and... Yeah, I came home for the funeral and I really didn't want to go back to ASU. I, I've, uh, or at least not straight away. I was in no emotional state. I, I was absolutely beside myself. My brother, um, Joe, said to me, he said, You know, look, like, what are you what going to do here? He's like, You can't stay home. Like, just go back, just figure it out. Just it will get better, you know. And I went back and I, I remember going to camp. And again I was in no no I mean look playing division 1 sports is difficult enough when you're in your prime you know when you bring your A game it's difficult enough to succeed and then I went out there and I remember some coaches were yelling and I and it was just you know it's like almost like the movies where just your visions kind of going in and out. And I don't even know what they're yelling at me for. And I really don't care. Um, I, I just kind of lost my fight lost my interest in football. And that I walked away from ASU in the middle of that fall quarter because it was just awful. And it, it was, it was really tough. And, and I think the worst part about it, which was, I think was really interesting. That's just come of light in the last couple of years uh, I remember having breakfast with Kyle Murphy, you know, all American guard for us. And he was still playing at the time. He, he wasn't one of the seniors and I told him the story and he had absolutely no idea any of this happened. They all thought that I just walked away. They had that. No one knew because I didn't talk to anybody about it. He sort of dropped his head and just, you know, cause Kyle's one of the great, great guys out there. And he just looked me straight in the face. He's like, man, if I would have known, I would have come and picked you up and brought you to practice every single day. A little choked up thinking about that, you know, and maybe, maybe it would have been different. Don't know. But, um, but anyway, yeah. So then, and then it was just this weird, really dark time. It was really tough. I kind of went home and went through it for, I think it was really tough until like the next summer, and then i was like okay i gotta need to get a job and then i got a construction job and it was one of the hottest summers on record and that sorted me out real quick and i I need to go back to school
0: (laughs) gus eventually graduated from santa clara university with a degree in theater and began a career in entertainment acting and eventually singing although the singing part wasn't originally in his plans he did have a moment just before the Rose Bowl a few years earlier that foreshadowed what was to come.
1: It was the week of practice for the Rose Bowl. We were in Pasadena. the Wednesday, At the Wednesday practice, Coach Snyder at the end, we were all just you know sitting down, and he's like, hey, we're going to Universal Studios tomorrow, and if you want, um, there's going to be a, a talent show apparently. And he's like, if you want to do anything for the talent show, like, have at it anybody can do anything, whatever. And you know, so my little 19 year old brain, something like a little star goes off. And I'm like, Ooh, I didn't realize what was going on until we got in there, but there was a full sound stage, and there was all of Ohio state and all of ASU there. There was a panel of judges. There was probably 20 TV cameras all lined up in the back. And so there were some skits and things going on. And I remember we made fun of Lee Corso, uh jake and i think we even went up and we were doing it and because lee corso picked us to lose every single game that year uh and so we were making fun of lee corso and then then all of a sudden it's like oh it's my turn to go up and i go up i have no music it's completely acapella and i start singing pagliacci which pagliacci uh is an aria. It's one of the most difficult arias in the opera repertoire. Um, most people would uh, recognize it. It's like when, it's like the murder, like when everybody's getting killed and the Godfather and stuff. And, and, you know, I, I, I stand up there and I start singing and everybody just starts laughing, you know, cause it's this total operatic, like, you know, and everybody's like, and everybody just thinks I'm joking. And then I keep going and then it just goes dead silent. And they're like, oh my God, he's serious. And, and so, um, and then I sang the whole thing and you know, got a standing ovation and it was great. And, uh, but that was the first time I'd ever really sung anything, at least operatic in front of anyone in my entire life.
0: It wasn't until his wife suggested it that he decided to take his unique talents and pursue a career in opera. Gus had the reaction I'm sure all of us would have. Where does one even start with that? And how do you just become an opera singer? He eventually got himself in front of the right people, but it was a long journey full of ups and downs.
1: I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to study with. And then and then we were living in LA at the time and my friend was, was a singer in a band and he was signed um, with Interscope Records. And he's like, hey, he's like, you should check this guy out who I've been singing with or, or been, uh, he's my coach and he's in LA and he's an ex-opera singer. So maybe, I don't know, maybe you should check it out. So went and started singing with him and then his immediate reaction was sort of, okay, yes, you have, you have got a voice. It's it's a serious voice and, uh, but we got a lot of work to do. Uh, and so, sang with him for a long time and then uh, really sort of the pinnacle of things is when I've sort of found myself in front of Muhammad Ali at Muhammad Ali's Celebrity Fight Night in Scottsdale with every famous person that I could think of singing there with David Foster as a music producer who I was trying to meet for years In the middle of a standing ovation, Tom Hanks gets up, grabs the flowers out of the centerpiece of his table and comes up and starts throwing them one by one to me on stage. Caught one of them. And, uh, yeah, the next night, somebody pays $100,000 for me to finish a song. Um, so that was really, you know, I walk backstage and there's like Tom Hanks, Billy Crystal, like Bo Derek and Reba McIntyre. And they all, as I'm walking in turn and start clapping for me as I, as I'm walking in and I'm like, aren't, isn't this supposed to be reversed? Uh, so I was just like, what sort of parallel universe am I living in? And, um, yeah, so it is, it was crazy. And then, but it was interesting because, um, you know, ASU for me was like a no go zone for a long time. Cause it was just so much pain And so much regret of what might have been. And it was really tough to come back.
0: Gus took it one step further when he sang the national anthem at an ASU football game. It had been more than a decade since he stepped foot on campus. And little did he know, it'd be a therapeutic experience that turned into an annual tradition to visit Tempe. By the
1: way, I didn't watch college football for almost 10 years. Like not a game hate to admit this, but it's true. It was Reggie Bush at USC. I remember watching Reggie Bush and I, and he just, I, I was like, okay, I've missed this game and he is an amazing player and uh, I'll keep my thoughts about USC to myself, but um, you know, but it, yeah, I didn't, I didn't watch the game for a very, very long time. It was, it was too hard. It was too hard to watch. Um, cause I was just, all the things would like come flowing back. Like I should be out there. Or I should have been out there or what, you know, all the, all those sort of thoughts. And then I think it was in 2013, um, I got an email saying, Hey, we're going to do, um, it was like one of the legends luncheons. And it was, with it was, they wanted all the quarterbacks, as many quarterbacks as they could get to come back. And I remember calling Isaiah Mustafa, another amazing character from from that, you know, uh, amazing actor and of Old Spice fame and everything else. Should your man smell like an Old Spice man? You tell me. I, I remember Isaiah and I sitting around in Pasadena having a cigar talking about what we wanted to do and that we both wanted to go into the acting world. You know, and I called up Isaiah. I said, should I go to this thing? He's like, man, go. And he goes, by the way, he goes, the other thing is, cause he knew that I was singing and everything else. And he, he's like, yeah, you should see if you can sing the national anthem. I'm like, really? He goes, you know, he goes, let me take care of it. So we went to that legends luncheon. It was the first time I'd see Jake in a very long time. Um, And it it was just immediately like a moment hadn't passed. And we were just immediately being silly all over again. And that's how it always was with all these guys. We went to the luncheon. It was fantastic. And then I had to go to the stadium to have a rehearsal. And so interestingly enough, I was the first, actually, I'm the only person in Sun Devil Stadium history to have a live microphone singing the national anthem. that was the first time really being back at ASU and, and feeling that connection again. And again, just sort of feeling part of everything. And from there it became almost an annual trip really, you know, yeah, there was that sort of tragic period, but really it's overwhelmingly phenomenally positive just to have those experiences there.
0: Although his talent spoke for itself, breaking into the opera industry was still a challenge.
1: And then it just kind of got to this point, I was just like, what am I doing? You know, maybe maybe I'm done, maybe I'm done.
0: Coming up next, just when Gus thought he had sang for the last time, tragedy struck once again and the world shut down during the pandemic. It ended up being his voice that would provide hope not only to a community, but to people all around the world?
1: It was just overwhelming how many people were tuning in. I mean, people were writing to me from like Chile, and there was this one sweet lady that would write to me all the time who was a dentist in Siberia. I, I mean, I- I'm just like all over the place from Australia, from, you know, all around Europe. And it's truly the most special experience that I've ever had in performing. I mean, including all the stuff, I mean, it's great. With- Singing front of Muhammad Ali and Tom Hanks and Plácido Domingo and everything else, but this was by far, by far the most special thing that I'd ever experienced.
0: That's next on the story.